Prophet Isaiah in chapter 61 speaks uh, in prophecy, speaks really in the person of the Lord as we find out as Jesus quotes these verses in Luke chapter 4. And he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. The New Testament is rendered unto the poor and hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. He goes on to say, and they shall build the old waste, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord, Men shall be, shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double, everlasting joy shall be unto them. What I want to speak to you about this morning is the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. And there's really no better text in all of scripture to begin than in this chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, because this is hope for Old Testament Israel in a time that seemed hopeless. It's a proclamation that God is going to come and he is going to do a work. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ who really was the one who opened the proclamation of the gospel, preaching his own gospel, declaring his own truth. But even as this text doesn't leave it there, neither did Jesus leave it there with his earthly ministry. But here within the text, it says that they shall build the old ways, those who come of that gospel, those who come of that truth. And they, you, will be known as the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. This Old Testament scripture speaks to the reality of the impact that the New Covenant dispensation would have upon the world at large, outside of Israel itself. So these Israelite people saw the word of God declaring that Gentiles, aliens, would be brought in. And all that's brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So Jesus came teaching, and as he came teaching in the synagogues and in the cities of Judea, he declared, today is the scripture fulfilled in your sight, in your ears. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, this is what Isaiah spoke of. He read this text. And he said, today is this scripture fulfilled. Today is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. What I want us to understand is that as Jesus proclaimed the word, he declared the coming of God's Messiah and he was him. 
And he said, I am deliverance to the captives. I am healing to those that are sick. I am comfort to those that mourn. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when he came and declared the Beatitudes there. What did he say? Blessed are those that mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are those that are poor. Blessed are those that are sick. Blessed are those who what? Have nothing. Why? Because they have me. And my gospel is addressed to them. And Jesus came teaching and then in the midst of his his ministry, he begins to send forth messengers from him. The disciples go forth, first the twelve and then the seventy, and they're sent forth to preach. And what does he say? The things you've heard of me, those same things speak. The things you've seen me do, those same things do. And Jesus sends them forth, preaching, declaring, So what is the gospel? In Isaiah's account here, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord hath anointed me to preach, to declare good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is a preacher? A preacher is a herald. Someone who tells a message, declares something in the streets. The gospel is not a private message. It's not something to be kept under wraps or passed quietly from person to person. It's something to be declared loudly and proudly, something to to be declared as a proclamation in the streets. Neither is the gospel posed as some kind of a a private offer, some some message given in secret that only the, the chosen can have access to and you must accept it in order to get to hear the story. No, not at all. It's declared broadcast by its very definition. And that hasn't changed from that day to this. The Lord has declared that his word is to be preached. It's to be preached to all men. And Jesus Christ reveals this, even as he's preaching the gospel and traveling from town to town in Judea, there are places that he tells his people do not go yet. And yet Jesus himself crosses those lines. He goes into the city of Samaria and there preaches to a people outside of the Israelites. He speaks to the Syrophoenician woman. He speaks to these different ones on the outside. And then in John's gospel, it's recorded, Jesus says, other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. Bring how? Bring through the gospel, through the word. I must bring them into the fold. I must bring them into knowledge. And I'm going to do that by declaring this word. And finally, we see Jesus raised from the grave, speaking to the disciples and commissioning them what they're going to do with the rest of their lives and service. After his ascension, what does Jesus say? He says, go, go ye and preach the gospel. In Mark's account, he says, go and preach the things that you've seen and heard of me. The same preach. Go preach, go preach, declare it, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The reality is that the proclamation of the gospel is the first and most important work of every believer of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. That's okay. That's okay. The gospel is a calling The preaching of the gospel is a calling given to certain individuals, to men called of God, to preach his word. 
But the ministry of the word is enabled by the New Testament church. And every believer has a message to declare. And every believer has a word to share. And every believer has a responsibility to uphold, to support, to sustain the ministry of the word. How do we do that? Well, we do it by assembling together to hear the gospel preached. That's one way. We do it through prayer and supplication that the Spirit would give to the ministers the words to speak and the power to speak them. We do it through providing the financial means for men to go and travel and preach and declare the truth. We do it by communicating words of encouragement and support to the ministers of the gospel. And all of this is recorded in the New Testament scripture. This is the pattern of the New Testament church. And why? Because the gospel must be preached. It matters. Why? Because God's purpose, as declared here in this this word of Isaiah, is that he might be glorified. And it has pleased God to glorify himself in this world through the declaration of his counsel, of his word, the declaration of his work, through making men see and making men know the wonders of the God who created all things for his glory, for whose glory they they are and they were created. The Apostle Paul writes to, to Timothy, his young friend, and he says to him in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Can you get any more serious than that? I command you, I charge you, I compel you before God and before Jesus, the one who's going to sit on his throne and judge the live and the dead when he appears. I charge you before God. Do what? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. Think that day has come? It has. It has come many times, but now perhaps more than ever. The people don't want to endure sound doctrine. Tell me anything but the truth. My ears can't handle the truth, they say. But what does God say? Don't fear men. Fear God. What does God say? God says, preach the word. Be ready At every time, instant in season, out of season, be ready to share the truth. Be ready to preach the word. Why? Because the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine. People are not going to listen to the truth. They're not going to want to hear the truth. So what then? Preach it all the more. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. And shall be turned unto fables. The world of our day is full of fables. People would rather hear and believe anything than the truth of God's word. This is true in the realm of Christianity. People professing to be Christians 
have followed after false ideals, false tales, doctrines so-called, and they don't want to hear the truth. So what? Do we get discouraged? What does he say? But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. What does that mean? What is an evangelist? It's a messenger. It's one who goes out and declares the message. If they fail to come in to you, then what do you do? You go out to them. When the church is filled with people coming in to hear the word, there's not much need for evangelism. But when the people won't come in, what do you do? You go out to where they are. You declare the truth. Why? Because God says so. Why? Because it matters. Because as much as we may fail to realize it, the proclamation of the gospel makes a difference. It impacts a people. It impacts a land. And we can look back in history and see the truth of this, of this statement. We can see in the history of our own people in America how a land that was largely corrupt and turned aside from, from the doctrines of Christ and turned aside from religion. I'm talking about 300 years ago in the early 1700s. The people had abandoned the church. The Church of England had no real presence. And the people were frontiersmen and they were giving themselves over to ungodliness. And what happened? The gospel happened. The gospel came and it came in power. And we call that time the Great Awakening. And what happened there? People fell to their knees and they confessed sin before God. Why? Because the gospel declared that God was Lord. That Jesus Christ died for their sins. That their sins were the reason the Savior was on the tree. And the hearts of God's people broke. And their lives were changed. And the nation was changed by the preaching of the gospel. The same thing happened in the Roman Empire. As Christians spread forth and they were persecuted in every city. And in persecution, the church grew stronger. And as they were executed, as they were fed to beasts in the arenas, they proclaimed loudly the name of Jesus Christ. And they decried the gods of the Romans and the gods of the various uh, polytheistic religions of their day. And they declared the truth of a Savior who died, whose steps they were willing to follow after. The preaching of the gospel had its effect. It changed a people. It changed the world. The gospel makes a difference. The gospel makes a difference in the world at large. The gospel makes a difference in the lives of individuals. Do you remember when you were first impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope you do. I hope every one of us who professes faith in Jesus Christ can, can reach back and remember some time in our lives where we didn't understand the truth the gospel conveyed. Maybe we knew the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe he'd been taught to us. Maybe even we understood some doctrines and some concept of what Christian religion was. But it didn't mean anything in here. It didn't mean anything to me. And the gospel didn't affect me. I remember that was the case for me. I think I had a pretty basic understanding of, of even primitive Baptist doctrine. I, I went to church, but it wasn't anything to me. I didn't enjoy going to church. I certainly didn't care what the preacher was saying. It was a place where I could try to play with my toys without my mom noticing. So, 
so I could, I could ignore it and get through the service until one day I heard the man speak. I heard the word. I heard the gospel. And that changed my life. I wanted to hear more of it. I wanted to understand more. Why? Because I understood that this Jesus that I had known by name was real. And his word meant something to me. And now it wasn't about Jesus who died on a cross to save sinners from their sins. It was that Jesus was nailed to a cross because I am a sinner for my sins. And that in Jesus Christ, he wasn't the savior of the world. He was my savior. And that first sermon I ever heard from Micah chapter 6. He has shown the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require? Not of men. What does he require of you? What does he require of thee? Wow. God requires something of me? The gospel declares some things. It declares liberty to the captives. You ever felt captive? The world is full of people who are captive to sin. Captive to sin and there is no way out. Captive to the various imaginations that men create in their minds. Captives to the teachings of false ideologies. Captives. What does the gospel do? It breaks the captives free. It gives them truth. It gives them access. It gives them a view of a sovereign and a reigning Lord to preach liberty to the captives, to open up those who are bound. Having experienced the glorious liberty that is found in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ. Having been able to take those truths and understand they're not just, just ideas, concepts, but they're actual and they're applied to me. In this we, we understand, we find salvation, deliverance, true freedom, the weight of sin is lifted. And access to righteousness is ours. Notice what he says. To give to them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. Christ is going to be magnified in this world through the righteousness of his saints. Where's that righteousness going to come from? It's going to come through the gospel and the application of the gospel, the application of his truth. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. When you understand that deliverance is found in Christ and in Him alone. When you understand there's no other way, there's no other hope, 
When you understand that not unto us, but unto His name belongs glory, then you're going to desire to live your life in a way that brings glory to His name. And you're going to want to share with others what great things the Lord has done. And what do we call that? We might call that living as a Christian. We might call that the gospel. The gospel being lived out in the lives of those who are impacted by it. The gospel changes individuals. The gospel calls individuals into association, into fellowship in the New Testament church. Jesus Christ, while he was here, established in this world his church. And he said, nothing is ever going to destroy my church. And that day when he gathered together with the disciples and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he also said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. He's with us here today. And we assemble together. Why? Because the gospel calls us together. And assembled together in the New Testament church, we rejoice together in the declaration of who he is and of what he's done and of what he's doing. You see, the gospel, it's a story that is not yet closed. The scripture is closed. It's final. God's final word. A thorough furnisher, everything we need, wrapped up in the pages of this book before us. And from this book, we find all we need to declare everything that God has for us today. Every word is true, and every word is applicable. We seek the Lord's direction, His understanding, His guidance to understand these words, to find the application in our lives and in those we speak to and share with. The Word is there. But the Word... is not limited in its scope. It's not just a history book, but it's a book that speaks to the future as well. It's a book that speaks to that time which is to come. And the message is this. Jesus Christ is victorious. He's victorious in everything, in every way, in every time. He's worked all things after the counsel of his own will. All things for the glory of his name. And that means it applies to me right here, right now, today, and to you as well. We are living in the gospel day. So when we read in the word and we read words that say, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your uh, hearts as in the day of provocation in the wilderness. That day is right now. And when we read that the gospel means something, it means something today the same as it did when it was preached 2,000 years ago. When we read that God's purpose is in the church, that's true today as much as it was when it was written 2,000 years ago. And when we read that Jesus Christ is coming again, that promise is as true today as it was when he made it. 
And when we look for the coming of the Lord, that's something we do right now, just like they did in the first century, with a firm expectation, a confident hope of an imminent return. Why? Because the gospel declares it. And the word of God is true. It's without compromise. So how then do I apply it in my life? You say, well, this is a different world now than it was then. And in some ways, that certainly is true. The technology is is astronomically far ahead of what it was then. But the people have the same nature. And sin is still sin. And Satan is still a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Jesus Christ is still victorious. And Jesus Christ is still on his throne. So when we read that with every temptation he'll make a way of escape, that's true today like it was 2,000 years ago. And when we read that Jesus Christ has set a prize before us, that prize is still there for every one of us. And when he says, so run that ye may obtain, the race is still before us. And brothers and sisters, your race is not yet run. Old or young, the race is still before us. And Jesus Christ is holding forth a prize. He's saying, so run that ye may obtain. The challenges are new and different every day. The gospel is still the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth. It's still his appointed means of drawing his people near to him, of magnifying himself and glorifying his name in the church, world without end. And it's still the influence that can take my heart, which time and again is lifted up in pride and break it in two at the feet of the cross. And it's still the message that says... Though I fall time and time again, the Savior will lift me up. He will set me upon my feet and declare His glory in me and in you. It's not a time to grow discouraged. It's not a time to give up. It's a time to rejoice. Why? Because God is on His throne and nothing around us is outside of his control or outside of his knowledge. And the time that God will magnify himself in you and me is at hand. The gospel declares it. So what do we do? We imbibe his gospel. We make his word our most urgent desire. And in him we find the strength to speak, to declare, to proclaim, to encourage others to go forth and speak the truth with power, with love, with confidence. Because it's a message that must be delivered. That urgency Paul had when he said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles and they will hear it. 
The method is old. The message is old. But it's not passe. It's not out of date. It's the only thing that has brought deliverance to this captive. And it's the only freedom in a world filled with chains. And it's a precious treasure given in these earthen vessels. It's a treasure that by God's grace is given to you. What will you do with it? Jesus says, don't take a candle and hide it under a bushel basket. If you do that, it's darkness. There's no light. It's of no use. Set it up on the hilltop. Set it in a high place. It'll give light to all. That's the gospel in our day. We live in a very dark time. But the gospel is still the bright light. Shining forth to salvation. Shining forth to all those whose eyes are open to see it. And right here in this place, we've been given custodianship of this truth. We've been given this treasure. We've been given it to sound forth and to share. And that is what we as a New Testament church have as our primary goal, our primary responsibility to magnify Jesus Christ in us through his word. Thank you for your time this morning. Pray the Lord's blessing upon his word.